Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Once, when he was staying in a Des Moines hotel, a female guest mistook Booker T. Washington for a luggage carrier and asked him to fetch her a drink of water. Washington was at that moment a leading educator, an internationally renowned author, an advisor to governments, and arguably the most famous black man in the world. But he didn't hesitate. He immediately went to the hotel's front desk to ask for the water. He felt no offense because true humility removes the sting of being treated as common. Now, President Theodore Roosevelt, who had dined with Booker T. Washington, said this about him. To a very extraordinary degree, he combined humility and dignity. And I think that the explanation of this extraordinary degree of success in a very difficult combination was due to the fact that at the bottom of his humility was really the outward expression, not of a servile attitude toward any man, but of the spiritual fact that in very truth, he walked humbly with his God. We're in a time when this kind of humility may be the virtue that saves the day. Humility is a chief kingdom virtue that disarms the enemy and releases the power of God into our situation. I want to talk to you today about the need to have constant humility regarding race and race conversations, especially when you're part of the majority culture. I think this will be especially important for white folks. Everybody else will be encouraged by it, but I really want to encourage everybody to think about this virtue of humility. And I want to give you a better question than the news outlets will give you. And that's this, what would be love in the situation I'm in? What would be love in the situation I'm in? This is what the Good Samaritan asked. As he crossed over to help the Jewish man that had been robbed and beaten up on the other side of the road, he wasn't asking what people would think or what people would say. He was responding to what would be love. My friends, we need good, regular Bible teaching on racism, even when we don't know for sure that it applies to us. Just like every other form of darkness that can live in our hearts, we got to stay vigilant. We got to stay humble. So let's dive right in. Partiality and faith in Christ are incompatible. James 2.1 says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This is directed at Christians. Now the context here is between rich and poor, but it's still about discrimination. This isn't a doctrine problem. Their beliefs hadn't impacted their interpersonal behaviors and how they related to people who were different. Nobody's being blamed for being rich or poor, but for being discriminatory. Now partiality means personal favoritism. It's actions of discrimination where we look at the outside to determine the value of the inside. You treat people wrongly because they're not up to your standards, though they may be up to God's standards. Now, where does this discrimination come from? It comes from pride. The root of racism is pride. To put someone else down, you have to lift yourself up. When the rich put the poor down, that's pride. That's a stronghold. The enemy will perpetuate this in a family, in a church, in a nation. He knows if he can create a stronghold of discrimination in a group of people, he can block the flow of God's goodness. When different ethnicities put others down, that's pride. Now I say 
ethnicities, because strictly speaking, there's only one race. I know that the rest of the world doesn't really understand this, and probably you can't interact with the rest of the world if you don't use language like referring to different races. But in the Bible, there's really only one race, and that's really important. Acts 17, 26 says it this way in the Amplified. It says, And he made from one common origin, one source, one blood, all nations of men to settle on the face of the earth. What we call white and black and red and yellow have different amounts of melanin in their skin, but we are all from the same two parents. Yes, we may look a little bit on a little bit different on the outside, um, but we all need the same things on the inside. We, side. we all need blood, and if you needed blood and, and someone of a different skin color had the same kind of blood that you needed, you wouldn't care what color of skin they had. You would still want that blood. My friends, we are from the same two parents. That means we're really all brothers and sisters, and we've got to think about that if we're going to think about this in a kingdom way. Again, humility is a chief kingdom virtue that disarms the enemy and releases the power of God into our situation. Now, notably, racism is an expression of our walk with God. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, we can't have it both ways. We can't hate our brother or sister and still love God. We can hate what a brother of any color does, but you don't get to hate the brother. You don't get to despise someone else who doesn't meet your standards. You know, for those of you who are familiar with scuba diving, there is a gauge that you carry with you underwater that tells you what's going on in the tank that is on your back. Okay, so the gauge is representing to you what is true, whether it's working, whether it's not working, how much air you have left. It lets you know that, hey man, if your tank is only half full, the gauge is going to tell you that it's half full. And John says, you have a gauge that lets you know how you and God are doing. If your gauge of love to your brother is low, God says that's actually how you're doing with God. Now, even those who have had a significant exposure to Jesus can still have racist and hate-filled thoughts and intentions. We see this in the very disciples themselves who are literally walking around with Jesus. In Luke 9:54, these apostles, they want to call down fire from heaven for racist reasons against the Samaritans. And Jesus tells them, man, you don't know what spirit you are of. So just because you've even got it wrong doesn't mean you can't get it dramatically right. We just have to guard our hearts and remember, just because we were doing well at one point doesn't mean we're necessarily doing well now. And just because you're close to Jesus doesn't mean we are still not capable of dramatic wickedness. Okay, let's go to the chat. Tell us about a situation where reacting in pride definitely was the wrong thing to do in the situation that you are in. Racism is often the result of group pressure. 
Let me set up the story for you. Peter was summoned by a Roman centurion who had been seeking God for a long time, but didn't understand the fullness of the message of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Peter had a vision of the Holy Spirit removing the cleanness barriers that would have kept him away from eating with this centurion. Listen to how the apostles in Jerusalem respond to this in Acts chapter 11. It says, soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Now Peter says that God sent him to witness to the Gentiles, but the Jews aren't excited about this because that's them over there. Some are racist because of group pressure, friends, hometown, parents. Some black folks might say that all white folks are racist. Some white folks might say that all black folks are angry. Some might say all preachers are good looking. I can't really argue with that one. But racism says, in order for me to accept you, you have to prove to me that you're not like who I think the group is. You have to win me over. It's uncomfortable, but we have to regularly search our own souls for signs that there's some category of person whom we're considering second class. So let me ask you the question. Is there anyone whom you're really you don't even maybe consciously think about it, but when you interact with certain kinds of folks, you're just like, yeah, that person's a little bit lower than I am. Well, initially, Peter defends God's favor on the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11, 15, it says, as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Jumping down to 17, and since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? I feel like we all need to ask that question about different ones in the world right now that you're like, man, what are they doing? We need to say, who am I to stand in God's way and what God wants to do in that particular community of people? Even think about people you think of like, man, they're hurting society. Maybe it's not even skin color related. Maybe it is political party related. Whatever it's related to, who am I to stand in God's way? Who am I to say God isn't going to reach them? Who am I to say, well, that, that's going to be a different kind of person that God isn't really concerned about? No, my heart isn't to it shouldn't be to fix them as much as it should be to, Lord, I'm praying for them that they would have a radical encounter with the gospel just like these Gentiles did in Peter's experience. Verse 18 says, When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, We can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Now, if God is going to do it for them, what he did for me, who do I think I am to tell God that I can't relate to certain ones? Jesus Christ came and related to me, and I was oceans away from who he is in terms of character. Again, humility is a chief kingdom virtue that disarms the enemy and releases the power of God into our situation. Now later, Peter fears connection to the Gentiles. This is what gets so jacked up. This is where... Uh, we can be doing well with regard to our heart, but then something happens and we begin to backslide in terms of how we're treating other groups. Galatians 2 verse 11, this is where Paul is now going to confront Peter because he's, he's acting weird. Even though Peter was one of the guys that God used to usher this idea in that now we can be cool with the Gentiles. Now Peter himself is going to backslide. Verse 11 says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. 
When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. You see this? In Galatians 2, the Jews said, you can't eat with them because they're them. We don't get together. He was so intimidated by his own race that he left the Gentiles for fear of the Jews. And Paul comes in, he's like, dude, you're sinning. You're not operating in the truth of the gospel. You're acting like these two groups are different, but they're not different. They are the same. When we allow racism to live in or around us, it is a sign that the kingdom has not come because God shows no partiality. There is no partiality with God. The kingdom is about the ways and culture of Jesus Christ breaking forth into our world and taking over. It should, it should kind of be the mini culture of heaven. That's how you know the kingdom is coming. That's why it says in Galatians 3, 28, faith in Christ Jesus is what makes each of you equal with each other, whether you are Jew or Greek a slave or a free person, a man or a woman, God is saying there's not an advantage anymore in Christ to being a man or a woman, a slave or free, a Jew or a Gentile, to have this kind of skin color or that kind of skin color. When it comes to God, you're not closer because you're black or white or rich or Native American or poor. You're all on the same level ground at the cross. Racism is a sign that you don't understand the core of the gospel of the kingdom. Everything should be flipped upside down when the kingdom comes. We are no longer judging one another by anything other than we're all in Christ. Okay, let's talk about something a little bit more controversial. Are you ready? Let's talk about systemic racism. And I want to read you a passage that's going to help us get our hands around this. Acts 6 We'll start in verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, let's pause there. Um, there are the Hellenists. These are the Greek-type Jews, okay? They're, they're still Jews, but they're interacting with Greek culture. And then there's the Jewish Jews, the Hebrew Jews, and their widows are not being treated the same, the, you know, fairly. Um, some are being neglected. And there's, you know, there's this system. They're, they're distributing food, and one is not getting the right treatment. It's not equal. Going on to verse 2. And the 12, the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right. It is not right. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, let me give you a definition of systemic evil. It's a system that marginalizes people of a particular race or just demographic, even though most of the people in the system are not intentionally trying to do it. It doesn't mean necessarily that there are laws that are still in place to keep some with power over others. Systemic or institutional evil is actually a theological category, just like original sin. It means 
The system itself produces evil because evil humans on a fallen planet designed it. You don't always naturally discern your own sin, nor will you always naturally discern systemic evil. That's why some people are like, I don't see it. Yeah, well, those same people might not see their own sin either. That doesn't mean that it's not there. Pastor Tim Keller gives an example of systemic evil as he describes a friend who had a chain of car dealerships. Salesmen would negotiate and they had a large window of what they could charge per car. Well, they began to look into some of the trends and they found that men were always better at negotiating, both black men and white men, and African-American women were paying much more for their cars. They were not particularly good at negotiating. Now, Nobody set it up this way. It's just that the result was unjust, even though no one had designed it to produce that result. The owner, a Christian man, said the only way to be just is to change the model. Now, he lost money on changing the model, but he still did it because he wasn't aware that evil was taking place. He became aware that evil was taking place, and then he made changes to remove the evil. My friends, do you and I have eyes to see unjust results even when the intention wasn't evil? I think some people are offended by the idea of systemic racism or institutional evil, which systemic racism is just an expression of, because it seems like it's implied in their mind that means someone's trying to do this, when actually that is not the case. It is just the result of living on a fallen planet that we're always going to find different places where, oh no, I made this great product, but now some people are killing each other in order to get the product. Well, you could say, well, that means your product kills people. No. It is systemic evil. Evil is being caused because humans designed a system. That's all we're saying with systemic evil and even with systemic racism. Now, I'm not saying also that there are still aren't some people within systems that are intentionally doing evil. Of course, we have to oppose that. Of course, we have to find that. I'm just trying to broaden people's categories and saying just because it's not the latter doesn't mean evil isn't happening. And that's what you and I are called to oppose and bring justice to. So what can we do about this kind of racism in our day? Honestly, there's a lot out there right now that doesn't seek to be particularly helpful in a practical sense. So let me just give you five ideas. Number one, grieve together. The next widely publicized shooting or injustice will come and it will quickly, quickly devolve into arguing. Remember it said in the text we just read, their widows were being neglected in the daily dis distribution. The community owned that. Like they didn't try to uh, have some kind of statement about it right away. They didn't try to, you know, defend for some reason, you know, logic it out. They, all they did was they just admitted that was true. They were, to, even though they were kind of acting like separate groups, they owned it together. Keep it fresh in your mind that we need to own this together. This is why it's so important to stay uh, in a place where we're emotionally affected by this kind of thing. Movies like Just Mercy, like 12 Years a Slave, there's things that we need to constantly keep reminding our hearts so that we, we get it emotionally. I love when my family and I watch movies on the Holocaust. 
And when I hear somebody say, suggest, you know, in the media somewhere that the Holocaust wasn't even real, there's something in me volitionally that explodes because of the evil I've just emotionally interacted with just by watching it on a TV show. I think that same kind of thing, I know in my family, it definitely happens when we watch these other kinds of uh, racial injustice types of movies or read books about that. Can I just encourage you, keep that fresh. Don't just like file it away as like, oh yeah, that was an event that happened. No, keep reviewing it. Here's number two, listen longer and speak less. Let's just not right away spill into righteous indignation. For those of you who are familiar with the Hamilton musical, um, I don't think it's really true that Aaron Burr said this, uh, but you know the line, talk less. I think that's good advice for every household in America. Talk less. Let's actually listen more. Let's uh, not just feel like we, because we're on social media, people are expecting us to say something about it. Usually when we start talking, we've stopped learning. Here's number three. Don't write it off. Don't make it somebody else's problem or say, just because I don't feel it, it's not a problem. See, humility can learn. We need to say, you know, to one another, I'm trying to understand things that maybe I've been blind to because it's systemic evil and not obvious evil. That's part of what systemic evil is, is that it's not obvious. We need to root for our brothers and sisters, not just like, well, you know, they have what they need to do well. I just pray that they do. You know, they're going to have to find a way to solve it. I heard T.D. Jakes say this once, that America is more than anyone possibly could make it, but that I want to help others make it. Let me include you as we travel toward greater justice and greater success. And so, my friends, we just need to be about helping one another up and not burying our heads in the sand or just saying, just because I don't see it, something isn't there that God wants me to look at. Here's number four, make it right. It was said in verse three, they said, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. See, when we become aware of it, we're on the hook to do something about evil that we can influence in any way. We don't breeze past it. And for some of us, that just means, hey, man, I'm going to pray for eyes to see where systemic evil is in front of me. Um, I'm going to pray for wise leadership. You know, the, the leaders of the church were very specific there. They're like, man, we want spirit-filled, godly, wise people on the task of recalibrating this system. And so at the very least, we just need to be praying, God put, don't even just put like professionals, put Holy Ghost-filled professionals in there who are going to have God's eyes to see and who are aiming at God's justice. And then here's number five, keep preaching the true gospel. Allow the pain of the moment to lead you into conversations about Jesus. You know, this just comes down to when things are really hard, when things are really hurting. I'm sorry things are this way. I'm sorry that this is the, you know, the best example of a country that is free in our time. Can I say something to you that's really hard right now? I love my country. I love it, dude. I love so much about who we've been and who we're becoming and the whys we exist. But America alone is a false gospel. And when people put their hope in it and then it's not perfect, that's one of the reasons people can feel so betrayed was because it was kind of touted like it was perfect. And baby, listen, 
there's only one Jesus. There's only one who can ever promise you true justice. And this is, this is what we have to be saying at times like this. Hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that, that all this is hurtful. I'm sorry that this is the country that you get. But can I tell you about a country that's better than this? Can I tell you about the kingdom of heaven? Can I tell you about a savior that always does right, that always has your back, that will always defend you, that will always protect you, that will always righten everything that mankind turned wrong? And he can promise you he will use your life to bring about genuine solutions. I can't give you a perfect country to live in, but I can talk to you about the country that is not far off. And it is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. My friends, now more than ever, we need to stay focused on the goal. In the midst of pain, in the midst of tension, in the midst of transition, we want to help people see Jesus Christ and his permanent forever kingdom is the answer. And if we do it in humility, here's what's going to happen. We're going to disarm the enemy and we're going to release the power of God into the situation. Let's bow our heads and pray. Hey, God, these things are so much. They're too much for us. We're talking about things that we don't even always see or discern. And so I want to ask for your mercy on all of our people. Lord, help us. Would you give us eyes to see places where maybe inequity is happening, things that you do not affirm, that you do not approve? And would you help us to lean in through prayer, through using any power we have to bring about greater equity? Would you help us to be better empathizers, better ones who come alongside as brothers and sisters and share the pain and share the burden? And God, would you help us be ones who meekly, in humility, but unabashedly and boldly preach the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, of the country that is perfect, and where justice will never lose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe? Share it with your friends. Click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.